you know, I, I came to know Jesus as my Lord and Savior around when I was in fifth grade. And at that time, you know, my heart really broke for the people of Japan who didn't know God. So, you know, I wondered what I can do. And um, God really laid this burden in my heart to, to go out and, and, and do something. So as young as I was, I remember praying to God, just, Lord, if there's anything I can do, please use me. And one of the things that I thought about doing was... Uh, just going out to uh, downtown every Saturday where hundreds of people would be, you know, crossing the street. And we would stand there in that street corner and we would pre- preach and, and proclaim the gospel. And we would pray for people and we would do that. And I did that for, I think, seven or eight years until I graduated high school, left Japan and came to the U.S. for college. And I look back and, and, and I smile because I had no intent to be a preacher. I didn't think I was going to be. Um, I saw a need. I just felt like I was laying something in my heart. And I just went out and started doing it. And I laugh about it now because here I am. Um, somehow I've become a preacher and professor of preaching. And it was definitely not in my plans to do so. So uh, it's, it's really amazing how God uses your environment in an unlikely place to, to cultivate your sense of calling and vocation as a preacher too. Welcome to Forward, a TED's faculty podcast. I am one of your hosts, Michelle Knight. And I'm Madison Pierce. Today, we have the pleasure of interviewing Dr. Ami Lee, an alum of the TEDS MDiv and a graduate of Fuller's doctoral program, where she also taught as assistant professor of preaching. She has over a decade of experience in pastoral ministry and is the author of Preaching God's Grand Drama, A Biblical Theological Approach, which was published with Baker in 2019. She is currently the chief strategy officer at Resource Global, a Christian nonprofit organization dedicated to equipping young professionals for maximal gospel impact in their respective contexts. Ami is on the podcast today because she was a guest on our campus in the fall uh, when she delivered the 42nd annual ROM lectures on preaching. Ami, we really are just delighted to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's, It's great to be with you here. Thanks. We, we're really excited. And, and one of the things we want to do for our listeners is kind of just get, help them get to know you a little bit, especially for those who maybe weren't around campus and kind of don't know much about who you are besides obviously the facts we just listed for them. Um, but we would love for you just to tell us a little bit about yourself. You can, um, you know, you can tell us whatever you want to tell us. Um, but we are especially interested in hearing kind of about your sense of calling and how you ended up where you are today. Yeah. Yeah, I'm happy to do that. Um, so until recently, um, you know, as Michelle mentioned, I was assistant professor of preaching at Fuller Theological Seminary in Pasadena, California. Um, and then I accepted the role um, to be chief partnership officer. So there's a little slight change with my title in my work recently um, at a Christian nonprofit called Resource Global. And our mission is to teach, mentor, and connect emerging Christian marketplace leaders so that they can leverage their skills and influence to make a difference for Christ in their communities and beyond. And I love my job at Fuller. Um, I was there for many years, um, but um, you know, I think one of the, the my favorite things about being at Fuller was obviously my awesome colleagues and students who I miss very much. Um, but as much as I love being there, I really felt um, God stirring in my heart to 
to reposition myself um, in this season uh, for the kingdom. And so uh, it was a hard decision, but I, I felt very strongly this desire to be closer to the people outside of academia, people uh, on the ground, um, just everyday Christian professionals in the marketplace yeah. who also need theological training to make a difference for Christ in their spheres of influence. So um, I think a friend of mine said that uh, COVID really uh, kind of has feels like an apocalyptic event. Um, and, and as such, it kind of reveals everything uh, in our hearts, our values and everything. Mm-hmm. And for me, I realized that that's kind of what God was showing me, that I wanted to position myself differently to to serve God in a new way. So that's when I kind of moved into this role. Um, as for my background, I was born in South Korea and was raised in Japan. Um, I was born into a Christian family to uh, devoted parents. And I made my decision to follow Christ as a young child and, you know, grew up in a church my whole life. Um, but my environment, uh, the culture that I lived in was truly, really secular and plural, uh, pluralistic. Um, you may know this, but Japan is referred to as a country of 8 million gods. And uh, it, it's got so many different gods. It's got of trees, got of water, uh, you know, just really... Uh, a very spiritually pluralistic kind of a place. Um, and they say that only about 1% of the Christ- the population is actually Christian. Um, and it, in, a, in a way, that's not a great environment for Christians to grow up in or Christian preachers to grow up in. But I really think God works in amazing ways and God cultivated my heart in a sense of calling as a Christian and as a preacher in that environment. Um, I grew up not only seeing a dire need for the proclamation of the gospel, but also the power of God actually breaking through darkness and transforming lives and communities through preaching as I grew up. Um, you know, one funny story is that I, uh, you know, I, I came to know Jesus as my Lord and Savior around when I was in fifth grade. And at that time, you know, my heart really broke for the people of Japan who didn't know God. So, you know, I wonder what I can do. And um, God really laid this burden in my heart to, to go out and, and, and do something. So as young as I was, I remember praying to God, just, Lord, if there's anything I can do, please use me. And one of the things that I thought about doing was uh, just going out to uh, downtown every Saturday where hundreds of people would be, you know, crossing the street um, and I went out there every night with my brother and a bunch of young Christians and about, I think maybe 10 of us, maybe on a good day, we had 20 people, which is a good day. And on bad days, it was just me and my brother. And we would stand there in that street corner and we would pre- preach and, and proclaim the gospel and we would pray for people and we would do that. And I did that for, I think, seven or eight years until I graduated high school, left Japan and came to the U.S. for college. And I look back and, and, and I smile because I had no intent to be a preacher. I didn't think I was going to be. Um, I saw a need. I just felt like God was laying something in my heart and I just went out and started doing it. And I laugh about it now because here I am. Um, somehow I've become a preacher and professor of preaching and it was definitely not in my plans to do so. So, uh, it's, it's really amazing how God uses your environment in an unlikely place to, to cultivate your sense of calling and vocation as a preacher too. Oh, that's fantastic, Ami. 
It sounds like you had a really fruitful preaching ministry in Japan, um, <laughs> whether or not you would have articulated that way. I wonder, as you came to the States um, and reflected backward on, you, you know, who you were as a preacher in that season, and maybe the ways that you were being pressed um, in a new context, what did, what did that teach you about what you or who you were as a preacher from your kind of, back, you know, your background, your cultural context? Yeah. Does that make sense? I hope. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, you know, I, I think just, you know, growing up in, in a, in an environment like that where, um, and I went to an international school where it's really an American school in, in a foreign land. And so, um, you know, the, the beauty of international school is that you, it draws people from all over the world, all around the world. So I had friends from 30 some countries around the world. They each brought their gods. They each brought their food, cultures, language. Obviously, we all studied in English, but, you know, with that came all their values and cultural systems and everything. Um, and so growing up in an environment like that and then, and then in Japan and then moving to the U.S., I think one thing that God has really taught me is just flexibility. Um, it's the flexibility as a preacher to, to adapt um, to keep your ears close to the ground, listen to what God is doing in, on the ground, listen to the people around you, um, and, and see how God is already ahead of us on the ground working in those places. And even in the most unexpected way, God is already there and present and doing His good work. So I think that's the one thing that I really learned as a preacher. I would say the other thing is that um, I really learned the beauty of uh, the global church Um I, I realized how small I was, how um, I can't do things by myself. <laughs> uh, and I, I think I really realized the, the beauty of the church, how diverse it is and how strong we are together. So I have seen a lot of um, brokenness of the church and even ugliness of the church in different places that I've served in, in the different countries and cultures I've been to. But also, I can honestly say I've seen God's faithfulness and God's goodness working in those areas and how the church is amazing when we come together. So um, just some things that I've learned along the way. That's great. And that is great. I mean, we've uh, we've already talked about the fact that you wrote a book um, that was about uh, a certain kind of preaching. And um, we've already heard kind of how you um, came to uh, begin preaching, uh, even though <laughs> it was different than what you would expect or um, um, maybe would have anticipated where it would lead. But what was it that drew you to this like conversation going on sort of in the academic circle within homiletics? Um, what drew you to start thinking about preaching on that level, especially when you sort of uh, attempted to reframe the discussion in this book and, and preach according to God's grand drama? Um, what was it that pushed you into that conversation? Yeah, um, I think because I grew up primarily in this Korean Japanese church context, um, uh, you know, the, my pastors had great impact on my life. I, I've seen and met and have been influenced by amazing preachers, um, but they uh, had a particular style of preaching. Um, they had a particular orientation to their preaching. And I was used to that kind of, a, you know, what I in my book called kind of the traditional homiletic. Um, it's this very, you know, um, propositional, uh, very big idea oriented style of preaching. Oftentimes the sermons were three point sermons, three points in a poem. Um, and, um, and, and they really transformed me. I mean, God really used, um, you know, his messengers and, and, and the sermons to really transform my life. 
Um, but then I came and started studying preaching at Fuller um, as a doctoral student and started reading all kinds of literature on especially the new homiletics and, and just this, this turn to the, the listeners uh, that's happened in homiletics. And um, just this explosive array of preaching styles and um, um, this diverse, uh, I guess, you know, uh, understanding of, of preaching form and function and, and its role in worship. And that just really kind of got me thinking about these two dichotomous ways of preaching. Um, and I know that these labels are not always fair because we fall, all of us, I think, fall somewhere in between and we're not as, you know, one or the other. But it sort of really, it really got me thinking about it. And, and, and it made me wonder, is there kind of a, a third way of preaching that takes the strength of both extremes? Um, and what would that look like? Um, and there's so much, I think, that both sides offer that I wanted to kind of just engage the conversation with those two sides and explore, um, you know, what, what it would look like if we start to actually really, you know, explore what are the values, what are the strengths of each, each orientation, what are some pitfalls and dangers with each orientation that, that I would want my students, myself to be aware of. And so that's kind of what got me, um, you know, working on this, on this book. And, and that's how it came about. Hmm. That's excellent, Ami. This is a little bit of a cheeky question because the, the answer should be go get Ami's book. Don't, you know, don't let this be the, the full answer. But could you say a little bit more about some of the advice that you would give us? You know, um, identify some of those problems, but then, you know, push us a step forward and, or, you know, further and say, here's, you know, three things that you can do right now to really improve your preaching and to connect with your audience and to faith, still faithfully preach the word, of course. Yep. Yep. Um, well, just a little bit more on maybe the background might be helpful. Um, when I think about traditional sermons, I I mentioned it's kind of propositional and kind of a, 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 a very deductive didactic style of sermons. Um, but another way to put it is that they're very text centered approach to, to sermons. Um, and they generally operate from the belief that there is kind of an overarching intended meaning that can be found in the text. And so it's the two, the preacher's duty to mine the text, so to speak, in order to identify that big idea in the passage and then to craft a sermon that advances that single idea. Um, and so the sermon is to a traditional preacher kind of like this communication of a biblical concept and principle. And, and it's the, the preacher's duty is to convey that comprehensive meaning of the text um, to the congregation. Uh, the conversational sermons, on the other hand, are in a way uh, reader-centered sermons that assume that meaning is this collaborative construct of a congregation. So, uh, con- pre- congregate, excuse me, conversational preachers engage. It's not to say that the conversational preachers engage in a live dialogue um, in in sermons, but it's really the idea that conversational uh, model believes that that preaching is a uh, is really meaning that some meaning that emerges from a community's conversation around the biblical text. So the sermon is, in a way, a, a report on the conversational dynamics of the church on a biblical text. So you can kind of see where the real difference is between the two approaches. And obviously, 
the strength, there are strength and problems to both extremes. And I think it's important for us to understand those before we begin to think of then, then what do we do? Um, how do we kind of bridge those two together? And obviously, one obvious strength of the, the traditional model is the Orthodox belief that, that, that our God is a communicating God. Um, and, and that's trust that God is able to communicate through the scriptures. Um, and obviously, that's so important to us as preachers, that even though God is ultimately um, incomprehensible, that we believe in God who is knowable and makes himself known to us. Um, but I would say the danger to that traditional model then is that sometimes sermons aren't as sensitive to the context and to God's ongoing work today, um, because the primary objective, um, the sole mode of reading and preaching from the Bible can be text-centeredness um, and, and sometimes textual and even contextual nuances and complexities often get lost in the process. Mm-hmm. Um, on the other hand, for the conversational approach, uh, I think the strength is that the preacher sees the congregation's lived experience as an important text to consider in addition to the biblical text. So that's very important. Um, but obviously, the danger then could be that um, prioritizing subjectivity and communal self-expression over the biblical text can have you know, very hazardous um, uh, consequences to preachers when that kind of communal experience is elevated over um, the, the text voice, uh, because, um, you know, things can get lost in there, really. Um, and so one thing that I propose in the book is really uh, this dialectical approach that guards against the extremes of harsh objectivity, but also this fuzzy subjectivity, um, and invites at the same time the preachers and the congregation to, to participate in God's ongoing story. So to do that, um, there are some practical things that I, I, I outline, but I think one of them that I would like to just highlight here, because I think it's helpful, it's helped me as a preacher, and it might be helpful to others, is what I call four perspectives. And it's this developing this mindfulness to God's the full scope, the full range of God's actions in the Bible. Um, and I know that I'm not the only one who is really sensitive to, uh, to advocating for understanding the Bible as a whole. There are obviously... Um, preachers throughout centuries that have done that, but I really try to emphasize that in my own way in this book. Um, and uh, the four perspectives that I bring to that work that would help us is um, retrospection, introspection, um, extrospection, and prospection. And just really, really quickly to go through that, uh, retrospection is being attentive to the past words and actions of God as seen in the biblical text and in church history. And introspection is being mindful of the ongoing ministry of the Spirit of God in us as um, God's Word speaks to us and transforms us and reforms us. And extrospection, then, is all about turning our gaze outward and seeing how God is unfolding His story in the world today, even today in our communities, neighborhoods, and around the world. And it's about remembering that um, remembering just our context for preaching, as well as the global church as we read the Bible, that just knowing that that we're not the only ones who are reading this Bible, but we do it as a church. Um, and finally, post-section is about remembering God's promises that are yet to be fulfilled, but uh, we know how God's story is going to end, um, as God tells us in the Bible. So just these, having these four perspectives um, I think is really, really helpful in preaching um, and 
missing any one of them can I think really kind of cause an imbalance in preaching. Just as an example, if we um, in, as preachers forget retrospection, um, sometimes sermons that, that are kind of forget that retrospection can be exegetically very light. Um, you're not really thinking about historically what has this text really meant to the original listeners? How has the church really interpreted and understood this text? How is this part of our tradition? We kind of forget that. On the other hand, if we have sermons that forget prospection, the, the future orientation of how God is just working out his story, then we have sermons that tells us a lot about what to do. This is a, this is, here's a really important information, but it's sermon that really doesn't give us hope for the future. It doesn't really direct us uh, in terms of how we should live today and what we're aiming for. Um, at the same time, we also have sermons that they may have those kind of, you know, retrospection or prospection, but there is no introspection or extrospection. And those sermons oftentimes can feel really inauthentic because it's not very clear to us how that sermon is, um, how that, that word of God is speaking to the preacher, what the spirit of God is convicting in the preacher. Or we, we don't really understand the connection between this word and what that means for our communities today and how God is speaking to our congregations today. So I think these four perspectives are just a simple tool to really help us think about are we really preaching the whole um, scope of God's story? Um, are we being mindful of God's a full range of God's actions throughout history? Um, mm-hmm. I hope that's helpful. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, um, from what we understand, you're actually writing a new book now um, where you're not talking about homiletics narrowly, but you're kind of moving on to talking about the office of the pastor. I think I remember reading it's called Rediscovering the Sacred Office of the Pastor. Is that right? Um, <laughs> Uh, and uh, from what I understand, you're gleaning wisdom from the Greek fathers in particular uh, for contemporary preachers. Uh, we would love to hear a little bit just about how you hope to resource from that tradition. Um, what are you noticing already? What is that book aiming to do? Just love to hear a little bit about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, I just, for me, during COVID, I just really got to a point where I felt spiritually dry, uh, just feeling disconnected, not being able to to be with my church family, not being able to be with my my own family and loved ones, um, I felt really disconnected, and um, uh, and I just started just reading, you know, just the old uh, wisdom of the church fathers, and that really started to just nourish me and re-energize me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think part of the reason is because I fe- I I felt like I was living through a crazy time, right? I'm like, there has never been. <laughs> A moment in history ever like this. <laughs> <laughs> I started thinking, um, I'm definitely living in a very unique time. And, and uh, although that is very true, uh, I think uh, the pandemic was uh, definitely, it, it's something none of us have, have ever experienced. But what gave me hope and encouragement was reading, uh, just reading about the church fathers and knowing just a crazy dynamic time that they lived mm-hmm. through. And it encouraged me that I'm not the only one. We're definitely not the only ones. Um, and yet they had such vibrancy and passion, um, purity and, and, and just, just love for God's word and people that made a difference. They're not perfect. They're not perfect human beings. Um, but there is something about their theology and life, um, as preachers, as pastors, as, you know, Christian thinkers that I think we can learn from that would energize all of us today. And so uh, my goal in this book is to really get into their writing, to look at their lives and to kind of draw homiletical wisdom 
um, that would help preachers today um, if we feel like we're alone and we're fighting those battles alone, just to offer an encouragement that 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 we have spiritual ancestors who have gone through things like this mm-hmm. and that, that we can learn from their lives and their wisdom as well. Mm, that's helpful. Yeah, that's fantastic. And I'm really looking forward to it. So, <laughs> Me um, too. Yeah. Oh, thanks, Ami. Um, so our listeners are coming from a variety of different perspectives. And, um, you know, you've talked a little bit about how they might prepare sermons. Um, but what about um, thinking about how you could help us to teach homiletics? You know, what are some ways that we can put these things into practice well and to distill them for our our preachers to be? Um, and then how, especially, I mean, if you could focus in on, you know, how can we teach our students to be more creative? I mean, and not to kind of fall into a kind of program necessarily, but to allow the, these kind of distinctive elements to speak well. Yeah, that's a, that's a hard question, right? I mean, I think that I really, uh, uh, struggled with as a teacher too, um, a teacher preaching and, um, what I found really helpful, what I always go back to is Augustine's definition of preaching, which is to teach, to delight, and to move people. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of communicators have also kind of fall back to that to say that, um, you know, the point of communication really is to teach, to delight, and to move people. Um, but I think that's really helpful for preachers to think about, um, especially beginning preachers. Um, because in their homework, in, in doing their exegetical work, I think they kind of get, for, you can easily forget what the purpose of preaching is. And sometimes the purpose of preaching can feel so lofty and abstract that you don't really know what to put down on that paper. Um, and, it, and it's really helpful for me to think um, just in terms of those three things that preaching aims to do is, am I presenting this new way of thinking, new way of viewing the world, new way of understanding myself, uh, of relating to the world. Um, is there something that I'm teaching people so that they know where to turn, what to turn away from and what to turn to? Uh, and I think that's really important in preaching is to have that substantive content. Um, and you can't impact people without that knowledge, without truth, right? So that's really important. But at the same time, we're not just... Uh, people who are just relaying information, um, as you said, Madison, uh, we are trying to do more than that. And I think an important part of preaching is delighting people, is mm-hmm. to use words as our instrument to 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 uh, uh, help point people to beauty of God, to to show them things that they haven't felt, um, to make them just remember things that they have forgotten, maybe. And so to delight and to speak to their hearts. Um, but if preaching were to end there, then we would just be just incredibly eloquent people. <laughs> oh, it's fine. But we wouldn't uh, be accomplishing anything. And we know that preachers are called to ultimately mobilize people. Mm-hmm. And so just the, really the third um, aspect of preaching, which is to move people. Um, and I would encourage preaching students to remember that because I think we have all heard sermons where we learned a lot, we felt a lot of things, but at the end, it didn't really tell us, therefore, now go do what? Um, it, it didn't really help us to now take that and, and turn it into actions um, to make a difference in the world. Um, so I would encourage preachers, old and new, to always think about how is my sermon helping people to move, to participate in God's work? Um, and so at the end of the day, you want to inspire people and, and, and give them something to live for. Um, are we really doing that as preachers? 
And so I, I would say it's simple, but the old wisdom is so helpful here um, to teach, to delight, to move. I think that threefold purpose of preaching really helps me ground it as I prepare sermons. That's fantastic. Thanks, Ami. Mm-hmm. I I feel like Madison and I are asking you to do our jobs for us, um, but I swear we're not. It's more that we have recognized just kind of the inspiring and um, an impressive example you have set for a lot of our students. And I know that when you were on campus in the fall, so many of them resonated with things you had to say and were just kind of blown away and thinking about these new things. And so part of why I keep asking you to speak to our context is because I think that you have a really helpful word for our context where it's so easy when we are teaching people how to preach, when we're trying to shape these folks that are going into ministry to kind of get into ruts and do it in a particular way and so many of these things. Um, and so that's why at least I keep, I keep asking you to speak into it a little bit, just because I think your voice is so valuable, especially as someone who is working with people who are out in the workplace in all of these different settings. You do have that unique perspective where you're watching people in a lot of different places um, and and the impact that they have for the gospel. Um, But I guess my question to you as an alum of TEDS, you know a little bit about who we are. You were here in the fall. As a learning community who is trying to strengthen and to serve the church, um, how would you challenge us? How would you challenge us in these days, in this context, um, to better do those things, to strengthen and serve the church? I've thought about this for some time, too. And um, I think for me as a teacher, when I'm in the classroom with students, uh, one thing that I felt like I really needed to do for my students is to encourage them to not just be not just be deconstructive, but also to be constructive. Um, I've heard a lot of sermons um, in classroom where students were really good at pulling apart what was wrong with the world today. Um, really good at pulling apart the text and saying, "This is what's in the text. This is what's going on. Here's how I parse the words. Here's what I understand about the context." Um, and they were really good at deconstructing everything. And we see this um, just, I think many of us also have that tendency to do that in social media or just even in our interactions. We, we know very well how to point out what's wrong, what's not working. Um, we do this in our meetings. We do this even just in our conversations with friends, maybe uh, when we get into arguments you know, or whatever. We, we, we're very good at pointing out what's not working, what needs changing. Um, and I think that's very important. We, we need eyes to do that. We need wisdom to be able to see what's not working and what needs to, what needs to be challenged. Um, I, I think that's where this voice of advocacy comes from, is knowing that something's broken, something's not working, that's not the way things are supposed to be. And you challenge everyone, including yourself, to do better. So I think that's a very important voice. But sometimes I wonder if we are... Um, much better at training people to deconstruct and deconstruct and deconstruct than to actually push people, you know, encourage our students to think constructively and to develop that constructive voice for then, then what do we do? What, what does God's word teach us then now about how we should live? Um, what is this amazing, constructive, beautiful vision that God's word paints for us today? And that's so hard uh, for us to do. I find that so hard. It's easier for me to talk about this is what the text doesn't say. This is what the text tells us not to do. (laughs) This is how I can show you what the text is doing. Um, 
was to take all those pieces and to actually construct a vision for, that excites people. Um, that's much, much harder. And so I would just encourage, I think, I guess our students, um, I, I know how hard it is to be in seminary, to be working, to be involved in ministry, to be studying and, and, and doing all that you're doing. Um, but really, uh, just to, to really keep on just asking for God's wisdom, being in conversation with your professors, with your peers, um, to encourage one another in that community to, to be people who, uh, who have a hopeful work for the word, a constructive vision um, for the world, um, to, to show people this is what God is doing. This is what God is calling us to do. And, and I hope that's what we can do as teachers um, to develop uh, people who have both the ability to deconstruct and construct as they go forward. Mm. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much, Ami. Let it be so. <laughs> yeah. I really appreciate that vision. Um, unfortunately, we have to wrap up. Um, and that's just the forward. Uh, we encourage you to check out Ami's work with Resource Global. We encourage you to grab a copy of Preaching God's Grand Drama and watch out for her next book, which sounds amazing, Rediscovering the Sacred Office of the Pastor. Watch her incredible sermons, not only so that you can learn how to preach better, but so that your soul can be nourished. We especially encourage you to check out her ROM lecture and her recent sermons here at TED's in the autumn. And um, just keep an eye out for what she's got on the horizon. So without further ado, we want to thank our bearded producer Curtis for his heart all of his hard work making us sound good our hardworking graduate assistant Lauren Janusik and all of you for listening thank you Ami I'm Madison Pierce and I'm Michelle Knight Forward is a podcast hosted by faculty at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School the views expressed by the hosts and guests of Forward do not necessarily represent the views of Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. You can subscribe to our newest episode on your preferred podcast app or at forwardpodcast.com. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Forward Podcast to get updates and additional links to content. Trinity Evangelical Divinity School is located 25 miles north of Chicago with extension sites across the country and online. Trinity educates men and women to engage in God's redemptive work in the world by cultivating academic excellence, Christian faithfulness, and lifelong learning. You can find more information at teds.edu.